Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered at Liquid by Pastor Tim Lucas. LiquidChurch.com, living water for a thirsty generation. Now, we're live on the web. And if you're just joining us, maybe it's your first week, we're, we're kind of midway through this series we're calling Outflow. You see your t-shirts, which is really all about God's desire to fill each of us up with his love and then actually send us out to demonstrate that love in tangible ways in the lives of our families, our friends, our neighbors, and actually the world. Uh, it was Jesus who outlined the sequence for this in Acts 1 verse 8. We kind of are... are, uh, are you know, our anchor verse here, where he talked about the sequence that each believer who puts their faith in Jesus Christ would first be filled up with the Holy Spirit and then would be his witnesses in Jerusalem. That's, that's kind of your local area, your family, your friends throughout Judea. And then actually that's going to spill over into your community in Samaria, people who aren't even like you. And then eventually cascade and affect the, the entire ends of the earth. And that seems a little bit overstated, but that was 2,000 years ago. And Christianity literally has spread like a virus, hopefully a good virus, over the globe. And this is where it gets interesting, ends of the earth. Because in many ways, we're new kids on the block here in Morristown. Um, We just moved here as a church this past spring, and our church officially launched on Easter. But when we moved in, you may remember what we said. We said, well, our vision isn't just like to fill a facility, but to serve a city. Because we believe that when we reach out to demonstrate God's kindness in real practical ways to our neighbors, no strings attached, That's when God literally shows up to do incredible things. And when you change a neighborhood, if you can change a neighborhood, you can change a city. And if you can change a city, you can change a state. And you change a state, you can change a nation, you change a nation, you can change the world. And this is literally how Jesus says it will be as his kingdom comes to earth. But it starts on a local level. We're here in Judea or Samaria. In a city like ours, Morristown is very diverse. You just walk across the street to our church office. We're right across the way here, across from the cinemas, and you'll see that vividly illustrated. Uh, like if you're facing our, on the one side on the left, you'll see, you see all that construction that's out there and everything? They're putting up literally uh, condos, and they're going to begin starting at $1.1 million to, you know, actually connect with the clientele who go to all those high-end restaurants like Pazzo Pazzo, right? We're all like, you see the professionals dining out there. That's one face of Morristown, the upscale professional side. But on the other side of our office, actually, you'll see this, this huge immigrant population, many immigrant families stacked up, kind of living in cramped apartments, pretty decrepit conditions, all Spanish-speaking, many impoverished. And right in the middle of, of this is, is our church office. <laughs> it's literally like we're right on the seam, the dividing line between the haves and the have-nots which we actually think is a great place to be. Because Jesus calls us to be neighbors, actually, to both of them. And that's really the question we asked this spring as we began thinking about how we'd mobilize this church family to reach out and serve Morristown this summer. We're like, who are our neighbors? I mean, who are the people that God has placed in our path and invited us to invest in? Who's my neighbor? That's actually a question that someone posed to Jesus one day as he was teaching his followers, it's interesting, but here's the deal. Folks who aren't even Christians, and, and maybe you're not a believer, you're just checking out this whole God thing, awesome. Take your time, you're welcome. No strong arm tactics, we're just glad you're here. But, but, but folks who aren't even necessarily Christian, they're usually at least familiar with the golden rule, right? You all know the golden rule, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Good. That was originally coined by Jesus in Luke 10 in response to a question brought up by a lawyer of all people. <laughs> Any lawyers here? Oh, you're, not, you're not supposed to raise your hand. She said, no, not me. Trial lawyer? No. Yeah. <laughs> right? It, it was actually scripture records. It, the scripture says an expert in the law. The Greek is namakos. Said to Jesus, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus affirmed this two-pronged mission that's at the heart of Christian faith. 
He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength, with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others, the rest is details. That's a saying we've used around liquid for some time. And it's an amazing answer by Jesus because it kind of cuts through all the smoke and confusion surrounding matters of faith and religion. But but the lawyer isn't content with Jesus' answer. The second part of it, you'll notice, puts a little emphasis on actually reaching uh, people who are around you and putting others' interests ahead of your own. So as lawyers are kind of want to do, he looks for a loophole. (laughs) And Luke records how he poses this question to Jesus after Jesus says that. He says, well, who exactly is my neighbor? Isn't that just like a lawyer? (laughs) Trying to find a loophole with kind of like a word choice. Well, neighbor, well, who exactly is my neighbor, you know? Love my neighbor, but, you know, I don't really know the guy next door. They kind of keep to themselves. And Jesus responds to this question by telling a story, which probably infuriated the lawyer. (laughs) But he tells a story about this guy who was actually mugged and left for dead on a dangerous street. You probably know. It's known as the parable of the good Samaritan. Remember that? You ever heard of that? Again, a story in which most of us are familiar. It tells a story of this guy just traveling down the road who gets jumped by some thugs and who strip him of his clothing, who beat him and leave him half dead. And as the battered man just lies there on the ground, Jesus is like, here's, he starts telling the story. And he's like, but as he laid on the ground, Jesus is like, a priest happened to be walking by. And everyone listening to Jesus would have thought, oh, what good luck, a church person. But Jesus says he actually crossed the street to the other side to avoid getting involved. Then he says a Levite came by. That, that was a, a traditionally you know, conservative religious elder who saw the man and actually did the same thing, wanted no part of it, crossed the street and ignored the guy bleeding on the ground. And then Jesus is like, but then the Samaritan comes by and all the Jewish listeners would have went, because Samaritans are half-breeds. They weren't Christian. They didn't follow Jesus. They didn't believe in the Old Testament God or anything. They're religious pagans. And yet Jesus said the Samaritan did something incredible. This guy who didn't even go to church, who actually everyone looked down upon, actually stopped dead in his tracks, crossed the street over to the wounded man, took pity on him, and bound his wounds, set him on his donkey, took him to an end, cared for him, and donated money for his recovery. This picture of active compassion to someone in need. And then Jesus turned to the lawyer and asked, now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man? And the lawyer replied, uh, well, um, hmm, I guess the one who had mercy. I didn't hear you. I guess the one who had you know, mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. And that story would have been scandalous to the religious people in Jesus' audience. The idea that, that irreligious, half-breed people don't know anything about church or faith was, was the one that God would say is living a righteous life. And Jesus was like, yeah, these acts of compassion to a neighbor in need, particularly to neighbors who are not like us, is evidence of someone who's living life in the kingdom of God. Full of God's spirit. And as, as they walk down their street in their neighborhood, their heart is actually sensitized to suffering people, even to people who are from a different ethnic or class or religious background. And when they actually see a practical need, they respond. So as a leadership team, we started asking this question. We're like, well, who, who is our neighbor? <laughs> we want to ask the same question. Who are our neighbors? And we started realizing they're actually the people we drive and walk by every day. Um, as I've started, I, I live in Madison, just a couple towns down, but as I've started commuting up to Morristown, uh, as you saw kind of in the video, I stopped by the Dunkin' Donuts to get my morning coffee, <laughs> and I've noticed this, that there's usually this gathering of, of young Spanish men down around the train station. Um, they're even there on, on Sundays. Uh, you guys know why they're hanging out there? They are day laborers. Yeah, Morristown has a huge population of immigrant families, predominantly from Honduras and Colombia, 
And most of our neighbors right next to our church office are actually from Honduras. And many of you likely maybe drove by them on your way to church this morning. Or if you took the train here from the sea. That's where most of them gather during the week by the train station. You'll see them out there at 6, 5.30, 6 a.m. And they're out there till 10, day laborers. And basically, the idea is that's where they hang out because they're illegal immigrants and they wait for landscapers or contractors to drive up, say, you, 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 jump in the truck, and they hire them for day, cheap labor. Uh, typically pay them low wages, about 5 $6 an hour, tough to beat. Most of them don't speak English, and they actually save their money to send back home to support their families. Now, here's the deal. Their presence in Morristown has become something of a hot-button issue locally, kind of a political hot potato. Um, a lot of folks object, actually, to their presence. Um, why? They don't pay taxes. <laughs> um, they don't contribute to the economy. Uh, the list goes on. They, you know, they're here illegally. They take jobs from others, whatever. But the spiritual reality of the situation is that they may be aliens or outcasts from the government's perspective, but they're not from God's. God actually doesn't see them as a political issue, but as people to whom we are to show special care. In fact, it's very early in the Bible, way back in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, that God speaks clearly about his special concern for folks who are on the margin of society. He says this, God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are aliens. For you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. Here in Deuteronomy 10, God's reminding the Israelites that at one time, he's like, you guys were outcasts and aliens, spiritually speaking. So you should identify and take up the cause of those in need, particularly those who are alien. We're not talking about like, ooh, UFO, obviously. I think, I think, I hope everyone knew that. Okay. <laughs> um, people are, they're from another country or in lacking the benefits of language or education, or citizenship. And the Bible actually says, actually, God loves the alien. How? Just like, oh, I love people from another country. No, a love that's demonstrated in practical ways. What's it say? Giving him what? Food and clothing. In the same way, God commands, he goes, you guys, my followers, my people, you're to love these outcasts in your midst. So catch this. I'm not actually talking this morning about your perspective on immigration or your political opinion. I'm talking about fact that God cares about the poor, about those on the margins and those on the fringes of our neighborhoods, about those who are in need. And because God has special concern for these folks, so should his followers. That's how the scripture kind of logically links it, particularly in the area of everyday practical needs, something to eat, something to wear. And so as we got thinking about this, we thought, well, you know, most of these guys work with their hands. I've kind of spent a few days down there just talking with them, which hasn't been, been too easily because my Spanish is así, así. I'm like, you know, I'm like, oh, puedo ir al baño? Oh, that's all I know. That's all I remember. And so we're kind of like, you know, well, what would be practical, tangible ways that we could actually demonstrate the love of Christ and, um, you know, demonstrate hospitality and care? And, and if you've ever worked with your hands, which some of us haven't, that's okay, but if you have, you know the importance of two things. This <laughs> and these, <laughs> right? Breakfast, <laughs> a full stomach. <laughs> you figure a guy in gloves. You figure a guy who spends long hours working with his hands should at least have a full stomach and a decent pair of gloves. So our first outflow project this summer is actually very small, but it's eminently practical. We're going to take two weeks this July as a church and actually just go out to serve and love on the day laborers right here in Morristown and actually serve those who spend their lives serving others. And we're going to do it in a very practical way, serving them hot breakfast actually for two weeks and giving them each a brand new pair of 
gloves. And we're going to do that for a couple weeks in a row, right in July, right in the midst of the summer heat. And hopefully that may even give us a chance to begin relationships with some new friends. Now, I know this may not seem like much, but you know what? According to Jesus' perspective, it's a pretty big deal. Because whenever we reach out to serve impoverished people in just real practical ways that show care and concern, he tells us, he's like, it's like you're doing it directly to me. In Matthew 25, Jesus painted a picture um, of his return to this world in which he's going to judge between the just and the unjust as a shepherd kind of separates the sheep from the goats. That's a metaphor he uses to distinguish between like people who are living authentic spiritual faith of God followers and spiritual posers. And Matthew records, he says, all the nations will be gathered before Jesus and he'll separate the people one from another like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he'll put the sheep on his right and then the goats on his left. Now check this out. He says, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you're who blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. In other words, join my eternal kingdom. You, you come to he- heaven, has come down to earth. You join my kingdom for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And, and then Jesus says, then the righteous actually will, will say, well, wait a minute, Lord, when did we see you hungry? I, I don't remember this, you on the street. Um, when did we give you something to drink? When, when were you a stranger? I can't just remind, refresh me here. <laughs> and the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did for me. And what's remarkable here is that Jesus is equating practical acts of loving kindness to people in need as the hallmark of authentic spiritual faith. Not as the way you earn faith. In other words, acts of compassion don't, don't like earn your way into heaven or into God's good graces. Rather, they're the hallmarks of a heart that has been cleansed of sin through Jesus' sacrifice and actually now filled up by his spirit and overflowing into the lives of others. And when that happens, the result is overflow. You actually begin noticing people in need. You begin seeing the world through Jesus' eyes and you, you actually begin moved to do something about it. And the thing that distinguishes true believers from the spiritual posers, the sheep, the goats, is active mercy giving to those in need, real practical needs. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, something drinks. I was a stranger. You invited me in hospitality. I needed clothes. You clothed me. I was sick. You actually took the time to look after me. I was in prison, totally marginalized, and you came to visit me. Basically, I was in need, Jesus says, and you did something. You noticed, and you responded. And you'll notice all the things that he mentioned, simple clothing, something to eat, drink, company. Each one simply doesn't require much in the way of money, but eyes to actually see Jesus in the face of the poor and vulnerable. This like holy sensitivity to look into the margins and curbs and cracks in the culture around us and see an opportunity to serve God directly. So the idea is that as, at you, serve, as you serve hot breakfast to a Honduran immigrant or, or put gloves on the hands of a Colombian day laborer, God literally views it, not as charity, but as service rendered directly to Jesus Christ. I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, the no-cat, you did for me. So that's the first group of folks we believe God would have us reach out to, the poor, the the alien, our our neighbors, who may not be exactly like us. Um, You will find most can't actually speak English, 
and possibly can't really pay us back, but we're committed to loving God, and so we're committed to loving those around us in tangible ways. Now, at the same time, we also realize that God cares about other pockets of people too. In our case, as we look around the city streets of Morristown, we see two other types of neighbors that God's calling us to reach. And the second one I mentioned in the video, the professionals. <laughs> you don't have to feel bad and be like, oh, right, this is just about charity. No, actually, as an urban center, a true city, Morristown is a very diverse mix of the poor and the not-so-poor. In fact, the very successful. If you're here during the week, you see many young corporate professionals, bankers, lawyers, architects, you know, business people, teachers, young creative professionals who call this city their home. And you'll often see them parked at like the outside cafes or on lunch break kind of walking around the green. And, and, and many of them are commuters into Manhattan. And the reality is, while they actually may have more money than the day laborers from a spiritual perspective, from the way God sees them, their needs are just as real. Many of them suffer from, from actually from a disease, the disease known as affluenza. You guys know that one? <laughs> Where the insidious pull of, you know, success, you know, upward mobility, you know, blind you to the things that actually truly matter in life. Some of you are on that treadmill and you know what I'm talking about. More, bigger, better, faster, more money, stuff. And, and Jesus said something, like, something about wealth and power actually being an obstacle for living the God-drenched life. It was like something like about a camel and a needle. We, we lack time. You can find it. But uh, the point is, for many of the professionals in Morristown, even in this headquarters business complex where we're meeting, their wealth and social positions have left many of them feeling actually empty. Hungry for authentic friends, someone who's not just out to see and perform. Or just flat out exhausted day to day from a stressful life in corporate America. In some ways, wealth and social position can be more spiritually oppressive than poverty. And for that reason, we feel God wants us to serve them too. Because God hasn't abandoned professionals any more than he has the spiritually uh, you know, struggling, or the struggling immigrant. So our vision for reaching the city includes them as a second pocket for outflow. So those two weeks in July, when we serve the day laborers breakfast, as fate would have it, we'll be right at the train station, right where folks go to begin their morning commute. And we're going to have a whole second team of folks blessing the professionals on their way to work. We're going to have a huge pallets of cold bottled liquid brand water. We're actually having them specially made up for this. And breakfast bars that they can take with them because we know they're in a hurry. <laughs> And lastly, we're going to have the morning paper with a very simple note attached, handwritten by you, that says simply, hey, um, before you begin your day, know this, you matter to God. You are loved by God. No strings attached. He's crazy about you. Simple stuff. But if you've ever been in, in a frantic commute to the city, anyone ever commute in Manhattan uh, here? Yeah, a few people. Yeah, you know, right? What's it like in the morning? Like, you know, like really full of grace and everything. Like, what did you get out of the way? You know, just kind of, you know, it's just like elbowing and jockeying your way for position and everything. Think of how refreshing it would be first thing in the morning to be told by a complete stranger, I was thinking of you before you even got up because God put you on my heart and that you matter to God and to us as well. So for two weeks in July, two groups of people, the poor and the professionals, get loved on by Liquid Church. Now, we're going to talk about details as we get closer, but we'll need people for all sorts of tasks to actually serve breakfast, to translate if you know Spanish, to, to fold you know, newspapers, to pass out gloves, all sorts of ways to be involved. And we'll likely be doing it on both Fridays and Saturdays. So hopefully your schedule will allow you to make one of those. But, but the rub in serving these folks, at least for me, is that you notice they're, they're morning people, both groups. In other words, you've got to get up early if you're going to catch the poor and, and the commuters before they're both off to work. And that's one of the reasons why we prayed and identified the third group of people, the party goers, <laughs> for you night owls. 
Now, I know I'm not talking to anyone here because you're all here like in morning church, right? You're like, no, I'm up. I'm heavily caffeinated already. Uh, we realize there are those of you out there who actually only come to life around 10 p.m. And, and, and you folks probably know Morristown is a major hub of, uh, of nightlife activity. There's a thriving club and bar scene, lots of live music around town. And it's actually kind of funny to be here at night. Sometimes on Saturday nights, I swing by the liquid office just to like, you know, get everything in place for Sunday. And it's like incredible to me because it's like around midnight, it's like the witching hour. Um, and they're like all these people like in the streets, something all over. Last night, like I, I'm, you know, just getting some stuff together in the back. And I hear, doo, 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 you know, people pressed up against our window, you know, like it's kind of weird. And the, the windows kind of buckle. I'm like, oh, they're trying to break in. We have nothing to steal, but they're trying to break in. You know, I don't know what's going on. And, uh, it, it's incredible to me because the place, like it, it, it freaked me out at first, but folks all over the streets, up and down South Street, we came in, you know, all the bars and, and lounges ringing the green, the Kowloon Cafe. You ever see that? Just kind of packed out there on Friday, the funky monkey. Dublin Pub, I know you've never been there, uh, Dark Horse Lounge, Famish Frog, George and Martha's, just swarms of young folks, I mean, particularly now the weather's nice, mostly 20s and 30s, out on the town for a good time, and, and you'll see the police trying to rein them in a bit, but, but Morristown has a unique audience of young professionals and, and folks kind of drinking in the nightlife, literally. <laughs> and you know what? They need God just as much as a business guy on the train. C.S. Lewis famously said that the man knocking on the door of a brothel is actually looking for God. In other words, his point was that when, when folks are, are headlong into kind of, you know, debauchery and thrill-seeking, it's often indicative of a larger spiritual hunger for connection or acceptance. And if we can reach out to those, those denizens of the night and bring the light of Christ to where they are at, then, then we'll follow Jesus' example, who, who hung around with, with, with the prostitutes and the partygoers, so much so that his enemies accused him of being a drunkard and a glutton. Now, here's a trick. We're not headed out to the bar scene to protest or preach or picket or shame folks, but to, again, demonstrate God's kindness and care, no strings attached. So if someone's too drunk to drive home, maybe we'll give them a ride. The, the, the bars and the restaurants they frequent, we're actually going to fan out in teams and clean the bathrooms throughout the course of the evening of these restaurants and bars and our outflow T-shirts. And just be around talking and connecting with people as Jesus would. I'm serious. Serving in humble ways that demonstrate the humility of Christ. Because it's about humility. It's not about arrogance or, or condescension. And amidst the clamor and the chaos, maybe folks will ask, Hey, what, why are you doing? Why are you doing this? Pretty simple. Um, I'm, a, I'm a follower of Jesus and Jesus was, was a servant. <laughs> and we figured this would be a great way to serve you in his name. And we're actually going to engage them with, with food as well. You know what happens when the bars close at, at 1 a.m.? Munchies, right? So we're actually going to have a truck loaded up with pizzas and bottled water. And we're going to be fanning out across Morristown and handing those out, slices, water, and friendship. And we're actually hoping that, that they're actually going to join the party, that actually we can engage folks in conversation and just start spiritual friendships with anyone looking for a friend. I want you to imagine South Street flooded with a mob of, of, of young people, and it's chaotic, and there's life, and it's a big party, and, and half of them are wearing outflow T-shirts. Humbly demonstrating kindness and giving a new meaning of what it means to be a follower of Christ who's actually in the world, but not of the world. Amen? The poor... The professionals, the party goers, 
all within a span of three weeks. And signups are going to start next Sunday for you to get involved. And uh, maybe just one of those resonates specially with you. Maybe the day laborers, maybe you have a heart for families new to America. Or you're a professional, so the idea of taking actually a morning off and serving your colleagues is appealing. Or you like the idea of out, being out late, mixing it up with the younger set. That's awesome. We wanted to have multiple opportunities for you to kind of flood out into these city streets and serve others in Christ's name. Because regardless of which pocket of people you identify with, it's not about you, right? It's about loving God and letting his love flow out of us to each of them. But today we start with the poor. And the exciting part is that the poor aren't just limited to day laborers. I mean, poor is a relative term, of course, living where we do, right? We kind of live in Oz. New Jersey is now the wealthiest state actually in America, just superseded Connecticut, which means we are the wealthiest state in Morris County, by the way, Morris County and Hunterdon County, the wealthiest counties in New Jersey. So we're the wealthiest county in the wealthiest state in the wealthiest nation that has ever existed in the history of the world. So even if you have a job in education, you can feel a little bit lacking. <laughs> but if you go back to that verse in Deuteronomy, God includes the alien actually in a group of three people. He says, God defends the cause of the fatherless, and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. So the fatherless and the widow and the alien, these are three pockets of people that God actually highlights in his mind as deserving of special care and compassion. It's fascinating. I was kind of looking into it this week, just kind of researching through Scripture to get God's perspective on this. And Deuteronomy in particular is just rife with direct references by God to these groups. Listen to these instructions from God in Deuteronomy 24. He says, um, when you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, don't go back to get it. Leave it for, let's read it together, the alien, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And when you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest grapes in your vineyard, don't go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. This is why I command you to do this. God's like, there are three pockets of people actually important to me. Can you guess who they are? (laughs) And he's basically commanding Israel, the people of God, to show special favor for people who lack not only a green card, but, but parents or a spouse. In those days, it was a major tragedy to be widowed. It often meant actually economic ruin. And the idea of being raised without a father was a huge burden because of the importance of one's family and name and lineage. It was a patriarchal culture. So God is like, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sow special favor. In other words, you go out of your way to be generous to children without dads, to mothers without husbands. He's like, so when you're doing your work, when you're out in the fields harvesting and you, and you and like miss a row, don't go back. Leave it on the ground. Leave it intentionally so that those who don't have as much can glean or go around the edges and, and collect for themselves out of your abundance. So they can eat and live and be provided for. Leave olives behind for them so they can bake and cook with oil. If you're into, if you're into wine, leave the grapes behind. The point is, be generous with the overabundance of your material blessings and use them to help the most vulnerable of your neighbors. Now that was in Old Testament times. And the question for us is, how does this translate into like 21st century context? How many olive farmers do we have here? Okay. (laughs) It's like, you, you got, <laughs> Rocco's like me, I believe it. <laughs> you got your marching orders, just go. I'll pray, you just pray on the way out, go. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's kind of an unusual thing, but, but, but when you come upon a teaching in the Old Testament like this, the way you apply or translate into modern terms is simply ask a question, well, well who are the, the fatherless and the widow in our day? I mean, who, who are those in, in our community most vulnerable in need of special favor or assistance? Well, it may not be a literal widow, someone who's lost 
a spouse to death, but, but how about divorce? Or how about, how about kids of single parent families where the dad isn't around? There are all sorts of ways you can contextualize this for 2007, but that's a good place to start. Single moms, families with, with actually low income or, or with a parent unavailable, they, they are actually objects of God's special concern. And he asks us to extend them kindness and favor just as he did 3,000 years ago. Maybe it's a military family with a spouse serving in Iraq. I want you actually to think right now, think of your neighborhood. All right. Your local sphere of connection. Okay. Not just maybe the next door neighbor who probably is like you, but just the streets that you drive through. May there be a family in need of some special favor and and generosity. You know, it's a terrific 21st century example of showing special favor or kindness to families who need a lift. It's on TV Sunday nights, extreme makeover home edition. How many of you ever seen this show? How many of you ever seen that? Yeah. Just incredible. Almost impossible to watch without crying. I watch it. I'm just like, how did Ty Pennington get such great hair? Oh, my gosh. You know, it's... <laughs> Seriously, it's incredible. Did you see one of the last episodes that featured the, I think it was the Akana uh, 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 family. Mommy Akana, was it? It was a family in Hawaii. And, and this woman, Momi, she was a single mom on welfare, living with three children in Hawaii. But while raising her family, the, these three kids alone, she starts the Coca Family Learning Center. It's like this, this program for underprivileged kids in her neighborhood. And in the beginning, Momi used her food stamps to buy snacks for the, for the center and regard her welfare check as the only payment for the services she was providing all the children in her neighborhood. And she put like her family's needs second. They lived in a dilapidated house with all of them kind of, you know, pressed into two bedrooms. Enter Extreme Makeover who choose the Akana family for an extreme makeover of their home and construction of a brand new learning center attached to it. That's the big idea that makes extreme makeover one of the most popular reality shows of all time. They handpick a needy family who often has special needs kids or a single parent situation, and they literally pour out extravagant kindness. You see them, they, they actually rip down their old home and construct a brand new one with like state-of-the-art appliances from Ken Morris. Uh, spe- <laughs> you know, specially decorate with, you know, the kids' rooms to fit their personalities. And it's all free. Literally no strings attached. And typically, many of their neighbors and friends kind of pitch in volunteering and donating hundreds of hours of work, demo, construction, interior design, etc. And the whole thing culminates in the payoff when like that, that family returns because they like sequester them away, having been away during the remodeling. And then they come and stand behind like the extreme makeover bus and everyone chants, you know what they chant? Move that bus, move that bus. I don't know, they spell D-A-T, move that bus, right? And of course, then it's like, you know, in the last five minutes, the big reveal, the transformation And it literally is this moment that is infinitely watchable because you don't see that in the everyday world. The kind of generosity and kindness and favor to people in need who God has hand-selected and put on the hearts of their neighbors. And my question is, why is ABC doing this and not the church? That is... It's one thing for a network like to come up with a charitable show that's good for sponsors, gets good ratings. But the people of God are called to something even higher. The spiritual resurrection and renovation of broken lives that come when, when people extend the love of Christ to the truly needy in our neighborhoods, no strings attached. Just as an extravagant demonstration of God's concern for those who need to lift. And so here's the deal. 
our final big idea and plan for the summer is to launch Extreme Makeover Church Edition. And what we've done, and this has required a lot of prayer and sacrifice, is we've arranged to give away $10,000 worth of remodeling, housing, and special favor for local families in need. And they, wait, okay, all right, all right, okay, you can all clap. There's a hitch. There's a hitch. You guys are the ones to nominate them. We don't have those families identified. But we believe God's going to put them on your heart. And all of us are the ones who are going to do the work. We're not outsourcing it. We're going to be the church. Let me explain what I mean. We've uh, taken the step of allocating about 10 grand for the next three weeks of July. (laughs) And use that money to choose a handful of needy families, ones who represent the spirit of Deuteronomy 24. So it could be a single-parent family that you know, or or, or a family with a spouse, you know, in Afghanistan or Iraq, a military family, or family with special needs kids, or maybe they're just low-income, they're struggling. And what we're going to do is ask you to nominate a friend or a neighbor or someone you know in need, not yourself, And then we, the church family here at Liquid, are going to set about doing an extreme makeover for whatever they need most. Now, obviously, we can't do an entire house here, okay? Because $10,000 is like, you know, that's the cost of, you know, paving a driveway in New Jersey, right? (laughs) But with the skills and talents in this room, we can put a new kitchen in for a single mom. Or we could carpet and paint or redo a playroom for a low-income family who has multiple kids. Or maybe there's a family, you know, with with special needs kids, you know, who are in a tight spot financially and could use like a vacation. It doesn't even have to be a house. I want you to think carefully. Who do you know? Maybe they're at your work. Or maybe it's the waitress who serves you every lunch hour. That God has put in your path of influence. doesn't even have to be in Morristown, though. The average person, by the way, who comes to Liquid drives about 34 minutes. We want to keep things local, but... Who in your sphere of influence may God want to drop an unexpected blessing on this summer? And the idea is for our church to sponsor just a few local families who are in some way connected to you guys in this room. They don't even have to attend this church, all right? We're not trying to get them to church. That you could nominate for Extreme Makeover Church Edition this July. As I mentioned, it could be an elderly neighbor like on a tight budget who needs like their, their house kind of fixed up. Or a single mom who has a, has a beater car, <laughs> you know, that like needs overhauling. Or it could be something practical you've overheard a needy neighbor speak about, you know, like a swing set or, or, or a backyard playset for a low-income family. Or maybe you have a friend or relative who has, who has a spouse in the military overseas. How could we be a help or encouragement to them, letting them know that they matter to God and he's put them on our heart even when they don't know us and just sacrifice for their family? Could we send them on a special trip or take their kids for a few days somewhere special? Think hard. Maybe it's someone in your commute or who you run into at at lunchtime and you've gotten to know a bit of their story or the grocery store or you you share a class with them and you know their story and it's painful because they've had some tough breaks and you've thought it'd be great to help but lack the resources the manpower to do it. Well, nominate them. Extreme Makeover Church Edition starts this week. Are you in? Can you participate? If you go into your bulletin, I want you to take out the form that actually looks like this, Okay. Because once the requests come in and the projects are selected, we're going to need people with skills for construction, home decorating, cleaning, whatever the tasks that are called for. And we're actually going to do it just like the show. I'm going to jack up my hair. <laughs> we're going to get a megaphone. 
Hello, Wiley family, you know, boom. And go, we're going to have some fun and just hopefully bless the socks off some folks and just tell them in a practical way they matter to God and they matter to us and we're doing it in Jesus' name, not ABC, not out of love, or not out of ratings, out of love. <laughs> now here's the deal. We're going to go out and find a few families ourselves and there are a couple neighbors that actually we were considering as a leadership team who we've run into. But we thought, we're like, you know what? We've got to trust God and put the power in your hands. Because here's the deal. This is Jesus' church. I'm the lead pastor, but he's our senior pastor. And you're his followers, and his spirit is in you. So it's not my job to like call every shot or lord it over you, but to actually just create opportunities for you to creatively serve and equip yourself for acts that reflect Christ's generosity. So we want to give you a moment right now, if you take out that sheet and nominate a family that potentially God has brought to mind. I know this is kind of on the spot, but you've got a pen. Has everyone got a pen? Okay? Okay? Literally, I want you to think hard. Think hard. And if you're like me, it's going to take a little while, because at first I was just like... I don't think I know a lot of people need. What does that say about me? Okay, that's all right. Get over that. Now, listen, we're going live. And this is the first step. And you'll notice on the front, it says, it says, you know, a family could use a lift. Their house is a little fixing up. Uh, Kids, some new clothes. I'm nominating the blank family from, I'm going to nominate the Wileys, okay? We're just going to use you as a stand-in, Matt, okay? I'm going to nominate the Wiley family. I've seen your lawn. It's totally overgrown. You need need someone there. From, uh, From Basking Ridge, all right? And you can check whatever applies there. It says low-income family, single-parent family, military family, family with special needs. Um, what's your relationship to them? Okay, hopefully you're not like, I'm, I'm their landlord and I want the rent. Um, but fill in your name, your email, your phone, and then just briefly describe the situation on the back. You just describe it on the back here, okay? And write it down. So we're literally inviting you to nominate someone this Sunday in all three services we're doing this. Believing God has actually already the families in mind that he wants to show special favor to. So let's do this. We're going to take a few minutes. All right, guys, can we, uh, uh, Steve, would you spin a little uh, John Mayer and give some time for folks to write? Just go ahead and give us some, like, spirit-inspired nomination music, okay? Would you? Take, some, take a few minutes. All right, now, if you fill that out, you can, you can fold that over. And again, you can hand this in at any point today and actually just put it in our offering bucket when it goes around after our closing worship. And if you didn't fill it out, no worries. That's totally fine. We don't expect everyone to, like, have someone come to mind. But you'll be able to actually participate when we announce the selected projects next Sunday. Or if you need time to think or like kind of get your thoughts on, you're like, wait a minute, this is the, or it hits you driving home. You can actually email me my, my name, uh, emails on the back of the, uh, the bulletin here uh, with your nomination. But we really believe, folks, this is going to be something special. This, some people go on vacation in the summer and some churches like wind things down because like everyone's kind of like on spiritual vacation. But we were like, we, we want this to be a summer of significance where we spend ourselves in the cause of something larger than any one of us. And, and this is really a first for us. I just want to be real candid now here. And there's a bit of a risk attached. Um, I think it's probably important to say this. While, while we welcome everyone's nomination, our, our current outreach budget is obviously going to limit the number of families we're able to help. In fact, we may only be able to help two or three depending on the size of the project. Then again, it could be more. But the whole idea is we're going to go as far as $10,000 will carry us. And as far as your time and your talents will be available to help make some of these dreams a reality for people. And there is a cost involved. Um, you guys know I rarely talk about money. Totally hate the subject. Don't really understand it real well. That's why I don't talk about it a lot. Um, but you should know this. As a new church launch, we're currently operating at a deficit. Every Sunday that we've been here in the Hyatt, we're operating in the red. And I don't, I don't say that to cause guilt or anxiety or anything like that. It's actually close to what we expected as a startup. You guys know if you've done a startup business, you know that. 
But there's just a lot of costs associated with like renting a hotel every week, creatively communicating God's word, providing, you know, volunteer meals, t-shirts, whatever. And you know what? We're happy to do it. It's God's calling on our lives. We are like convinced of that and we are trusting him to make it work. But in the past month, as we're starting to look at ways that we can actually like tighten our budget, because we're like, okay, the dust is settling from the launch. How, you know, we got we to look over everything that we're, we're doing here. We refused to go for the easy trap that said, well, obviously, first off, trim the charitable giving. Because we looked at the summer that we had planned and the people we believe God wants us to reach and serve, and it was an obvious area that might suggest, you know, let, well, let's rein in that area. You know, let's not be so ambitious for the summer. Let's cut our outreach. We can't afford it. But you know what we believe as a church, as your leadership team? We can't afford not to be generous with what God's given us. We can't afford not to serve the poor and defend the cause of the alien, the widow, and the fatherless. Because if we're not about that, then what are we doing? We might be saving up money for a building, but we're certainly not about God's business or the things that matter most deeply to his heart. And we want to follow after his heart and pursue his passion for impacting the world around us. And so we're like, we're going to trust him for the resources to continue doing that. So, so if there's anything God will bless, it's like it's when God's people personally sacrifice in order to reach those truly in need. Because it's not about us. Jesus was our model for that by literally sacrificing his life for ours. But you need to know this. This is a stretch for us. When all is said and done with these outreaches this July to the poor, the professionals, the party goers, the extreme makeovers, we'll estimate those three weeks will cost upwards of $20,000. And that's a lot of money. Money that's being invested in people who can't possibly pay us back. And you know what? That's great. Because it's not about giving to get. It's about sacrificing our lives to serve those in need in costly, loving ways, just as Jesus did. But I wanted to mention this because maybe your greatest gift to this outflow initiative, maybe it'll be financial. I don't know. There are some of you who God has blessed financially and he's given you the gift of money or resources that can be used to serve the poor this summer. Maybe you're like, I'm away for the entire month of July, but I just got my spring bonus. And if so, we'd welcome your support of these projects. And you, you can do that today or when you go home. We always, you know, Mikey always throws these, uh, you know, envelopes. <laughs> You know, in the bulletin, the point is just, you can just sell pages, drop it. And you can simply write outflow on the memo of your check or give online, you know, at our website, liquidchurch.com. In fact, if you're listening online, you can participate that way as well. We got a lot of people from overseas who listen. But we're going to trust God for this because he's going to provide. And maybe he'll provide through some of you. Maybe he's entrusted you with a little bit more than most. And you can leave some around the edges for those who have the least. If that's you, then give cheerfully. We want to put this verse on because it's not about guilt or anything like that. It says, you must each make up your own mind as how much you should give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure because God loves the person who gives cheerfully. I am, I am excited, folks, because we're like, we literally don't know exactly what God is going to do through all of you. But I have this feeling it's something that's better and greater than anything we could orchestrate or calculate or pre-program. Because you know what happens when a fountain overflows? It's messy. It starts spattering everywhere. And when the spirit of Jesus gets full command of a people, of, of yielded hearts, it spills over and floods a city with God's love in ways that makes Jesus famous. And that's the mission of our church.
and we hope you'll be a part of it. <laughs> we really don't even care if it, it, it's, you know, your, your first time or you even believe everything, all the tenets of the Christian faith. Come and belong and then believe. Because the summer adventure begins today and we're actually in it together. In fact, let's all stand together. Let's all stand together. And I want us to pray for the lives of the people God's going to impact this July. Let's stand. Lord, we thank you for your generosity and in kindness just to each of us. Um, Lord, we have so much. Um, many of us enjoy healthy families, good jobs, close friends, and those are a gift from you. So we just pause here and thank you for them. You are the giver of every perfect gift. But more than that, God, we thank you for Jesus, the best gift of all. He is the source, Lord, of true life, a life vitally connected to you, a life completely forgiven of our past faults and failings, and a life that now is marked by love. The sacrifice of your Son, Lord, shows us your compassionate heart once and for all. So we want to ask you right now, God, um, just for a double filling of your Spirit today in the people in this room. Lord, we want to overflow your love into our neighborhoods, into Morristown and the world around us. And we want to serve others in ways that matter to you. And do it with sincerity and humility as Jesus showed us. So, Father, I just want to call upon you and ask you to just to bless and direct and oversee all of our work this summer, God. We have big plans, and we want and we need you to show up so that they're not total disasters. Please go ahead of us, God. Um, begin preparing the hearts of those we're going to serve, the poor immigrants, the, the professionals by the train station, the partygoers in the bars. Prepare our hearts to serve. And there is to receive and be touched by your spirit through us. It's in Jesus' name we ask this. And all God's people said.